have conversations about getting dirty and growing strong through exploring the Pachamaya healing model. If you're enjoying our content, there are many ways you can show your support, including posting a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform, or by joining our mailing list at wherethelotusgrows.com. Leaving a review will get you an on-air shout-out, and joining our mailing list, you'll get a monthly email full of inspiration to keep you on track. You can also become a supporting member on patreon.com slash wherethelotusgrows, where your kind support is rewarded with additional gifts and content we've created just for you. We've chosen not to have advertisers, so the only way to keep our show going is through your generous Patreon support. We hope that our podcasts uplift you in your world. If you benefit in any way from our show, please become a supporting member. Kim and I also see clients privately. If you go to the website, there is more information about our private practice website as well. Where the lotus goes. Where the lotus goes. Creditarians. Getting dirty and growing strong. Hi, Courageitarians. Welcome back. Today, oh. Tanya and I are going to talk about supporting and what support actually means, what making a connection to someone means, especially in the role of caregiver. Right. So specifically, Kim, you wanted to talk about this based on your experience with treatment and kind of what you're going through and um, how people can best help and serve and support those that are going through difficult times. Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, I, I watched my parents caregive for their parents. Um, I certainly have played a caregiving role with my parents um, through their life. You are caregiving in your life. Um, and now I find myself back on that other end of the spectrum where I'm needing support and care from someone else and my journey. So I, I feel like it's shown up in our life quite a bit between both of us. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, we, between taking care of my dad and, you know, having children, I feel like a, a pro. <laughs> <laughs> I've got well, one of the things that I have thought about recently as in this role is that it's kind of a yin-yang relationship. The relationship between yin and yang energies is kind of this rotational symmetry and a continuous cycle of movement. For what sure. Do you think about that. Um, I, I totally agree. I think, mm, I, I think in some ways, um, you know, from your perspective, because you're cognitively full facultied and you're uh, aware of your wants and needs. Whereas in some cases, you know, even with children, they're not necessarily aware of what's in their best interest or in their wants and needs. So there is a little bit of a difference in the give and take because I feel like um, in my situation, a little bit more of the responsibility falls on me to make um, to make more decisions. Not that I'm not taking my father or the kids, uh, you know, 
ideas into consideration, just that uh, I end up being a little bit more of the the final say. Whereas I think in a caregiver situation for you, and I've I've seen this already with your need to be direct and asking for care and knowing what to ask for, um, that it is much more of a of a give and take because you're aware of what you are and aren't going to be able to do. And so you're much more aware of what you need and what you don't need. Yeah, I think, if you, too, if you look at the yin-yang uh, symbol, the yang cyclically returns back to its beginning. And then the yin, as it's reaching its narrowing point, it yields again you mm-hmm. know, to the yang energy. And so for me, those two points kind of symbolize this idea that every time um, each force reaches its extreme point, it manifests within itself the seed of its opposite. Right. And so, you know, I, you, you, since you've known me, I've been playing around a lot with opposites and kind of looking at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think I'm not your typical person. One, I kind of know what's happening based on, you know, what we do with our career. Um, and being aware of that, you know, is... is um, Sometimes it's comforting and sometimes, you know, you, you wish you could be naive to it. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing too, that I've noticed, and we've had conversations like this with, uh, within our friend group as well, that a lot of people don't understand what support means or where do you even begin to support someone? And so I've kind of developed this as my Kim de- de- definition Um, And I've had to use it with family members. But Mm -hmm. to support someone means that you can withstand weight, pressure, and strain so that you won't give out. You serve as a prop for that human being while they process and spend all their energy on living through the ordeal. And when you support someone through crisis or chaos, or how I like to think of it as creating or transforming into the new stage of life, you're acting as their support or balance point. And when you support someone, you fit snugly in aiding in circulation and relieving fatigue while that person faces the storm. I like that. I like that a lot. My spiritual healer, Eve, and I talk about it in a different light as well, that, you know, if you think of a wheel and in Detroit, right? We, we mm-hmm. Detroit's grid system is based off of a wheel. Yeah, uh, not so you, smart for urban planning. Right. Oh no! Like <laughs> Nick and I, for the longest time, we're like, "Why can we not get around Detroit? We cannot figure it out." And someone said, "It's not a grid; it's a wheel." And we were like, "No wonder." Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, and she talks about um, having this wheel around you and still remaining in the center of yourself in that center hub. And to put some balance points on mm-hmm. the wheel, on the hub, so that you can stay in, in the center of the hub of life. Um, and so that outer kind of wheel that goes around in the shape of your aura um, and arms distance in all directions, right? Sometimes you need some balance points there. And that's really what you're doing for that person. Um, if the wheel analogy works better, is you're, you're standing there being some balancing points for that person to hold their wheel of life up. Sure. And I, and I think this goes back to, um, you know, what kind of care is needed. Um, 
but being able to be those spokes and be those balance. And I, and I don't want to make this gender specific, but I, I do feel like as women, we are nature or nurture either way, <laughs> a little more mm-hmm. built to be a support system because we've had conversations and, and whole episodes about this before we are um, anticipatory creatures so we are much more likely to anticipate another person's needs. Um, I'm not I'm not saying that men can't or don't. I just think that it's and and part of our culture is to um, kind of push more towards that. That women are more in this position to do this, and so then when our caregivers haven't held that role. So whether they're male or, you know, just haven't had that role to play, um, when we have, I think that's one of the spokes that can be in the, in the wheel and one of the balances in the wheel that can be really helpful is that anticipatory, um, I don't expect you to read my mind, <laughs> but I do expect you to consider me when making decisions or when doing things, especially through difficult times. Does that, does that make sense? I was just trying to think of what the different spokes are and what the different balances are and anticipating or kind of, uh, uh, being ahead of what the person might need could be a helpful spoke in the caregiver wheel. Kind of, kind of that emotional load. So, you know, you and I both, we, we, you know, we make no qualms. We are cisgender white women. And so mm-hmm. when you and I have these conversations, it's usually about a male spouse, but you and I also <laughs> like Glenda Doyle's work. Right. And so they talk yeah. about even in their role, that emotional load. So I think mm-hmm. it, it, whether, however you orientate your couple, whatever that is, there's always one person that's a little more nurture and a one, one person that's not. So one person mm-hmm. typically takes on that emotional load. And one doesn't. And it's interesting because, you know, Nick was like, well, I, I work out of town and I do my own laundry and clean my own space. So I got it. And just the other day he was saying, you know, I've only mastered cooking and laundry and there's more to that and running a household. And I'm not used to that emotional load. He's like, I'm trainable, but you know, he's still struggling to grasp that knowing that he's going to add in a full-time job here quick too with Sure. And so it, you know, becomes interesting. Well, the other thing that I, I've noticed too is connecting with others. And I'm not sure that uh, people get what connecting with others is, but it's really a sense of being open and available to another person, even as you feel they're open and available to you. So, you know, they might seem like I'm a Leo, right? So mm-hmm. Leos tend to be a little extra. Well, right now, as I'm going through treatment, I'm not going to be extra. So that right away, people notice that my energy seems neutral and that that what's wrong with that because there's no extra. But I don't have to be extra, right? Mm -hmm. So however you see, I I guess I I share this because I think like however however you see yourself, however open you are with yourself, is only the amount of availability that you have to be open and connect with others. 
And part of that human ingredient of connection is empathy and compassion. And that goodwill that you feel when you connect with someone else. So you have, so that's part of like love and joy. Um, and that comes on a physical and an emotional level. But if that's something that you struggle with, kind of, I, I think I talk about this a lot with my younger clients, right? You can, when they're dating, right? They're looking for their first boyfriends. You can only find the person that loves you as much as you love yourself. So the more you can develop that self-love and that connection with self, the more available you are to support others. Right. So, so what are you saying as far as for the caregiver that there, there needs to be, there needs to be care. You need to still do self-care. How many caregivers immediately don't self-prioritize. Right. And then they're, they have compassion fatigue. Mm Mm-hmm. So even if I can't get up and go for my walk that day, my caregiver goes for their walk and it becomes their form of meditation. Right. Preventing codependence and, and fatigue and burnout and all of those things. And there, there's, a, there's ways that you could connect physically with somebody. A loving touch, a hug, a kiss, cuddling, just sitting in silence with the person. So that they can feel your presence, bike mm-hmm. rides, walks, dancing at home, laughter, gardening together. Those, those don't cost a lot of things. Sure. But there's that physical connection there. Mm-hmm. Just, just being there. No, I, I noticed that. So to um, share a little bit with, with our listeners, if they, they haven't listened to past episodes. So my dad's had a brain injury and he doesn't have a short-term memory. And so there's things that he doesn't remember or that, um, you know, we could have the same conversation over and over and over again. Um, and he doesn't necessarily pick up on everything, but he absolutely can pick up on that energetic vibe. And I can always tell if he's been kind of on his own too long doing his puzzles or in the same room and holding space with someone um I can always tell when he's kind of needing that and I always try to you know set aside a little bit of time and even if I know that the conversation is going to be repetitive you know to ask him some open-ended questions to to just get a conversation going um and just kind of sit in the room like like even just if I'm in the room doing work I know that he feels at ease versus going up to my office and being in that room all day and then coming down. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. There's, there's definitely a, um, his mood is improved just by having somebody else. And then of course, you know, him having the kids around, I think is great for him. Yeah. I, I do think that's great for him. That's awesome. I know. And I can't imagine like it, it has to get, mundane hearing the same things over and over or having the same it sure does for you <laughs> sure does but knowing knowing that you can put aside that you know eye roll of oh dear goodness this is like the thousandth time I've heard this 
being able to be able to observe the fact that your ability to withstand that improves his quality of life is huge. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and for my own self-care as a caretaker, since we're kind of talking about both sides of this, sometimes I can't. And sometimes I do have to maybe walk away for the eye roll to happen, um, knowing or, or even gently being like, we, we've already had this conversation and, and just gently reminding him. The good part about that is he doesn't hold it against me because he doesn't remember <laughs> to hold it against me if I'm like, come on, Dan, <laughs> you've said this five times already. Um, but I, I try to always remember to be gentle. And, and sometimes that can be hard. Sometimes I do have to the concept of redirecting and, um, you know, changing the subject or being like, oh, look, here, play with the kids <laughs> kind of thing <laughs> to change it up is also really helpful when I have had because don't, don't get me wrong, I am no saint. I, I love caring for my dad, and I, I love being that person, and I um, appreciate the opportunity. But it, it can be really hard. It can be really frustrating. It can, be, it can make you angry and frustrated. And I have those moments, too. It's, just, it's the same as being a parent. You know, <laughs> kids, kids are annoying. <laughs> <laughs> kids are frustrating kids are obnoxious and and you have to um you know adapt and adjust and maybe leave the room for a minute <laughs> I, I just had a conversation uh yesterday I we stopped by the studio to change something out and our community just got those little scooters those battery operated scooters oh yeah which, which I love having those around because they're in every hip city right you mm-hmm. can run a bike or a scooter um, but there were some kids doing absolutely nothing wrong, completely just getting on the app, hooking up to them. Um, there was a bunch of them outside my studio. And they're, you know, they're having harmless fun. But when we got in the car, I told uh, Nick, I said, oh, I'm just not used to the, the noise level of kids, of teenagers. Mm-hmm. And uh, he started laughing at me. I'm like, I'm getting old. And, I'm like, and they were doing nothing wrong. And I noticed the yeah. that inability for the volume. Mm-hmm. All. all of a sudden we are the get off my lawn people oh i'm totally <laughs> that person but I make from fun that of myself all the, time. the, <laughs> yeah. the other thing though is emotional connection so you by that i mean you need to fill an alignment between you and your caregiver on a sure deep beyond that physical connection right because you need kind of a deeper soul level connection mm-hmm. at that point so that you can feel secure during the rough patch that you're um you're experiencing, um, you, you need to know that your caregiver or your support system is just going to be um, consistently available so that you feel this greater sense of belonging, right? And when you feel that greater sense of belonging, yes. that facilitates a general well-being. And so I was, I've been thinking about some questions. You, you could ask the person that you're caregiving, um, what is happening for them emotionally? What could you do? What could I do for you right now that would bring you more joy? Are you speaking freely? 
Or are there things that you're holding back from the conversation with me at this moment? And what could I do to create more safety for you to speak more freely? And these are questions for the caregiver to ask the person that they're, to they're caring the for. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's, I think that's great. I think in, in a situation similar to, which is slightly different than caregiving for um, an aging person. Oh, not that you wouldn't ask that for an aging person. I think that would be a really good question. Um, you know, a, or for children. Um, I think in a situation of, of dealing with people like with an illness or even um, someone who may need end of life care, I feel like that's a really important question um, to make them feel at ease, to let them know that you are there. I think in, 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 um, and in thinking about it from my situation, I'm, I'm transferring a lot of this to caring for a parent or a child. And in that case, um, there's a little bit that's already built in <laughs> of, <laughs> of security and support. You know what I mean? Your kids hopefully know that you're always going to be for, there for them. And same with your parent, you know, that there's already a level of security because you're a, a family unit. But even when you're dealing with a spouse that is a, a care person, to have. So Kim, from that perspective, being the person who is being cared for, what does that offer? What does that question offer you? Well, it offers safety and uh, security. Like, like even driving the other day, my uh, spouse drives like his mother, speed up, slow down, speed up, slow down, speed up, slow down, <laughs> <laughs> which makes me immediately carsick. Um, so I, I always would have to really work hard not to get car sick driving with my mother-in-law. And, uh, I had brought it up to Nick one time when I was home. Cause I thought, I don't want to make her feel bad, but I, do you know, your mom does this? <laughs> he, so he was like, Oh my gosh. And you know, he had just come back from New York. He's like, my sister does it. I do it. And, um, so he had asked like, do you want to drive? if your energy level is okay, because it'll probably, you'll get less car sick because you're in control of things and you have a smoother foot. And um, the other day I wasn't feeling well. We were running errands, so we had to switch the rule of driving. And uh, I was like, you know, I immediately was like, oh my gosh, can you just drive one speed? That's what I was like, you're just like your mother, which of course then triggers him, right? Because yeah, nobody wants to hear that. I didn't, I didn't say it in a nice way. <laughs> Uh, and he was just like, well, you could drive, you know, so we'd get to our next destination and I'm like laid back in the seat, not feeling well. And he goes in and he comes back out and he's like, I totally could be more mindful with my driving. I'm sorry that I was doing that. And I was like, I totally could be more mindful in my speech and I shouldn't, I said something that would trigger you and I could totally request for you to drive smoother you know, and point it out because you're open to hearing it. So we had to like both apologize and, you know. And that's you know, part of good communication. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I so think we that's were, great. We laughing. But you know, that, that also, um, my last point, support connection. And the other, the third point that I really wanted to make was to, then you have to apply active listening to the answers because it demonstrates that yeah. you're making a real connection with the patient. And, you know, a lot of things for them feel out of control. So act, active listening 
is being present. It's paying attention to the patient when they're speaking. It's proving that you're listening through making eye contact, verbally repeating back what you thought you heard them say, and then waiting for the, the patient mm-hmm. to acknowledge and clarify it. It's also vulnerability and recalling memories in your relationship um, or from childhood, if you're a friend, right, that you could share with them. And being interested and in perhaps in the same hobbies, maybe you participate with them or um, you, you just sit with them while they work on it. Um, and the detail, uh, the, the, the detail is, if you want to like boil it down to something, is staying curious and staying in a judgment-free zone, which is super duper hard. Um, and you have to remember yeah. the silver lining, right? There's always a silver lining. So for example, for me right now, um, it's to heal and have a growth oriented period in our marriage, which we've been together 25 years. I think we've been married since 2004. So what is that? 17 years or something like that, that we've been married. Mm-hmm. Of it. Um, it's also moving forward into something that uh, could support us for another 25 years. So, you know, it's, you've got to look for some of that sometimes. Because the role, instead of when you're used to a role of a relationship being 50-50 and now it's going to go 70-30, you know, it's a, it's a shift. Right. It's, a, it's a change. But, you know, like for me, the bottom line is, is I cannot thrive without support, whether it's physical or emotional connection and empathy right now. Right. Because, because we're hardwired for, for this. We're hardwired to feel safe, to, to have this feeling of safety and security to be seen, to be taken in. And all of that allows me or someone else to weather the storm, to sail seamlessly into calm waters on the other side. And I've been reminding myself that this too shall pass because it's uncomfortable for me to lean into that Mm -hmm. as hard as it is for the caregiver to offer. Absolutely. 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 And I I think that what you're saying is really vital and important, especially when you're looking at a relationship that is 50-50, where, you know, people are pulling their own weight and then something like this occurs and all of a sudden you know that you're not going to, um, to be able to pull your own weight. It can be really hard to ask for that. It can be hard to accept it. Um, and at the same time, you know, if you're, if you're ill, if you're feeling miserable, um, you want to know ahead of time that you're, you're going to be cared for. You're going to be secure. You're going to be safe. And I, and I think from that perspective, especially shifting um, from, like you said, a, a bit more balanced relationship to something that feels unbalanced, that it's really important to know both sides of that so as as important it is for nick to know that he's going to have to pull his extra weight i think it's probably also good for him to know how much you struggle with that do you know what i mean yeah i mean you know on all fronts our marriage wasn't in the best of places and then we spent the pandemic and separate year or separate places. Mm-hmm. So it took my caregiver quite a bit of time to get up to speed to where I was because sure. there was this falsity of, Oh, I kind of knew. Right. So there was a lot of language like, 
you know, cowgirl up, or I don't think you're handling this mm-hmm. right, or why are you crying? You don't cry, right? And so, and, and I'm already been like, hey, I've been here. Right. This is where I'm at. Like, I need you to get up to speed with me. And I remember because I kind of knew what was going to happen at each stage after I had the diagnosis, you know, I had a complete list of everything that I'm going to need support with. And that list, I think, then was overwhelming. And, um, you know, there, there were a couple heated discussions. And um, I, I got quite cross because I knew what I needed. And I needed yeah. to know if I had that support or if I didn't because I was running out of time to create that support system for myself that I needed for that day-to-day stuff. Um, and, and in hindsight, uh, you know, he has, he has said I was not on the same page and now I am and now I get it. Yeah. So, you know, it, it took a, it took a moment, um, to get there. No, I, I agree. And I think, um, as you were saying that, you know, it made me think of, um, similarly. So again, not to gender this, like I said, we're coming from a a single perspective and I'm not trying to gender it, but, um, there is a level of ironically that we're the ones being like, Hey, this is what we need. So it made me think of, you know, when I was preparing to have Jessa, we did a home birth. I knew afterwards I would be recuperating for two weeks at home and planning ahead and really laying out similarly to what you've done with Nick. Um, these are the things that you are going to have to do. <laughs> Here's a list yeah. of, you know, from the simple things, from, you know, meals and, um, you know, taking care of very basic needs to that heavy emotional, hey, I'm going to be afraid and I'm going to be scared and I need you to be brave for me, even if you're scared too. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I read out a list to Nick of like 20 big items that I was going to need him to take over. And you and I both know, Mm because we carry the most of the emotional load in our relationships, that those 20 items, there's probably another 20 mini steps to that 20 item happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And I could only come up with four rewards for him (laughs) uh, taking on the list. So I know that it's imbalanced, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my four rewards that I could come up with was knowing that you're doing as much as you can for the woman you love at the lowest moment in their life, mm-hmm. helping to improve the quality of life and well-being, giving me every chance to thrive through the diagnosis, having a new deeper relationship to the woman you chose to marry and you chose to love through back through sickness and health, richer and poorer. And role modeling for our niece and nephews and friends on how to give service above self in a positive way. Nice. I like those as rewards. I think that's awesome. I think that it's important as caregivers to, and on both sides of this, to know what the goals are. So in parenting, obviously, you know, the reward is a a happy, healthy, well-adjusted child right? They grow up to be their own person and um, comfortable with who they are and and what they're doing in life. And I think with end-of-life care, um, you know, to give somebody dignity is huge. And then in your, in your case or in the case of illness or even in the case of, 
you know, recovering from something, illness or injury, then it's getting through it and coming out the other side. Um, as you said, with a stronger relationship personally and together, because even if your caregiver is a friend or even if your caregiver is a nurse, that person still benefits from seeing you thrive or still benefits from knowing that they gave you dignity. Well, I've, you know, I've had to have several conversations about uh, my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And, you know, first it was difficult to prioritize because I knew that I had so many layers of conversations to have. I first had to come with terms with, okay with having the conversation with me first sure and then you have to start I think of um friends and connections kind of like rings of a tree right Mm -hmm. there are there are certain there are those that are close in your inner circle that get to come in beyond arm's length and there's there there are those at arm's length and so on and so forth further out and so you want to start with that tight-knit circle first the people that will impact the most and your day-to-day life first. And then, you know, I slowly started to make my way through clients and then slowly make my way through friends that perhaps I don't interact with day-to-day but are still within my friend group. And then I needed to start to, you know, reach out to the places that I gig and say, hey, you know, my appearance is gonna change. How does it fit with your team and your role models? Um, And then slowly making my way down now to where, you know, I'm making a public statement for all of my fans. And I've noticed in having these conversations, which have been over 80 conversations that I've had to have, I've noticed that people react in one of five ways. They either dig in and they offer true support right from the beginning. They make it about themselves to which you're saying, how does my disease, (laughs) how does that happen with that? Um, Then there's people who don't understand because I'm health girl. I don't understand why you're sick. I don't get it. Then there are people who shame me by saying that I need to prioritize myself. Yet I've listed all of my self-care, which is above average. And even with getting my new Apple watch and doing what they consider to be highly active, I blow those numbers away. And then you have the people that try to make cancer a competition. And I don't think any diagnosis should ever be a competition. They're just, that's a personality type. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, to me right now, the ones that, the ones that I need and get it are the people that are digging in and offering true support. And mm-hmm. the rest, as you know, you've, you've made a joke about this as well as my spouse, that in being diagnosed, my filters come off of it. And yeah. uh, I, I like to say my bullshit meter is more sensitive. And those other four ways, I just don't have time or those reactions. Sure. I I am going to change the diagnosis. 
And hopefully I've, I've taught those around me to be secure enough in themselves to not make the subtle changes that are happening in my energy as I heal to be about them. Right. No, I, I think, you know, so just even as we age, right, we, we start to thin our friend group and we thin our, um, you know, the people that we hang out with. I, I don't know about you, but, you know, when I was in my 20s, I had a very vast, large network of people that I considered my friends. And as you go through the trials and tribulations of life, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm sure I was part of someone else's web that I fell off of because I wasn't that invested in them either. Um, but people sort of fall away, right? And you get down to like your core group <laughs> of people that are going to support you. And even from there, like you said, you encounter, um, you know, some people may be intimidated or triggered by a cancer diagnosis or just might not be something that they can take on um, as a support person. And, and you know, that's okay. Um, but I do think, like you said, that the filters come down and you end up seeing a little bit more of, of who's there for you and who's not. And also, you know, it's, it's the same the other way around. If something happened to someone that you know and love, um, you, you make those adjustments when, when that happens, you know, and some people changes very frightening for them and it's just not something that they can handle um, which is very true I've already started to lose a couple clients in that realm um, mm -hmm. I I have a very consistent schedule that I keep for my clients typically at the beginning of the year they know what days I'm going to take off and because I'm a healthy person there's really I I have twice in 13 years had to take what you might consider sick time to overcome, right. um, you know, a routine respiratory infected infection or something during cold and flu season. Sure. Um, but other than that, my clients know right from the beginning. Um, and even, you know, through the death of my parents, I've kept them consistent and stuff, but I have had um, some clients decide that between their potential misses and my, their between their misses in a year and my potential misses, that they can no longer see value in me and my service, uh, which, which stings, but I also know that it's not about me. It's more about mm -hmm. their ability to handle change and to realize that therapeutic movement isn't an all or nothing thing. It is something that ebbs and flows with you and changes how it might look at times while you go through life. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, and I think from a standpoint of there, there are two ways to look at that. Similarly, like with the pandemic, I think there were situations where people were like, well, if you can't provide me with the services, then I can't give you my money. And then the other half is, well, if I value and love your services, I want you to keep going through this difficult time. So I'm going to continue to give you my money. Yeah, um, so, uh, and so it's a pandemic, similar thing here. Mm -hmm. Through the pandemic, my groups went from having eight sessions to having uh, 
12 sessions. So I, I added a session for them and their value. And mm -hmm. even though my prices have gone up crazily, like even if you go out for breakfast now, it's, it's the price that lunch used to be. And lunch is now the price of a nice dinner uh, mm -hmm. because everyone's expensive has, have gone up and I haven't um, raised my prices to match that, um, which I, I honestly really need to do. Sure. Uh, be because uh, the supply and demand chain is, is off. But, you know, mm -hmm. I also am trying not to do that because I know that I have a very loyal client base that hopefully my business can survive on the back of thriving through cancer on the back of the pandemic. Right. And that's, and that's another side of it. And, you know, people may leave and may see the value once it's gone and come back. Um, you know, people may have to put their money elsewhere and, and that has to be, you know, understood. It is what it is. But I think that those with the means, and I, I think we've seen this a lot through the pandemic. I know I've definitely tried to be more supportive to people um, and businesses that I like and that I value and that are small and that are local because of that, because I feel like my, my dollar can go so far, you know, and can do more with, if it's spent locally or a small business or, you know, like for example, the, the yoga studio that I um, practice at, you know, throughout the pandemic, obviously not practicing there. Um, but I subscribed to their podcast, which wasn't something that I did before and did my home practice. And I didn't renew my subscription rate. I paid the drop-in rate because I felt like it's $2 more per class, but it gives me a little bit more flexibility and it's giving them more money in the long run. You know what I mean? So like small ways that that you can be supportive. Um, and at the same time, there are other things that I did have to let go of because it just wasn't serving me. And, and I just, to me, I feel like all of that will come around. So business yeah, will pick up for you or just look different for you. I, and you know what, I think I look at this time just like it was when I went through grad school. When I went through grad school, I changed. Mm -hmm. How could you not go through grad school and not change and grow? Um, right. And the same thing's going to happen here. My work will take on a, a deeper soul meeting. Uh, I will change as I discover new things in myself, which we all teach from our personal practice, which is then going to change um, how I teach. And Sure. Uh, I had just went biking with one of my friends this morning and she said, you know, it's kind of like you've been doing this whole makeover of yourself through your forties. And she's like, now the chemo is going to think of it like a chemical peel on the inside of your body. And, uh, she's <laughs> like, you're going to have all new cells there to live your next 50 years. Cause she's like the whole time I've known you, you've said you're going to live till you're a hundred. So this nice. is just a full body cleanse. And I was like, Oh, I kind of like that. That's a fun way to look at it. Yeah. I I do like to think of, and and I've felt this um, several times in my life. Things that you have done that you think, you know, just keeping you healthy or um, 
you know, physically strong or nutritionally, whatever, like many, many things that, or just curiosity has led you down different paths. Then all of a sudden something happens and you're like, oh, this, this is what I was training for the whole time. You know, and so for you from this perspective, not that anybody wants to get cancer. This is just one of the, one of many tools that you have um, with how to deal with it. You know, you have strong communication skills. You have strong, these strong strength and vulnerability to ask for what you want and need. You have strong planning. You have a healthy mindset. You have a whole set of skills for self-care. Um, you know, and, and, and so I see that with you, not that you wanted this challenge, but everything that you have done in your life thus far has prepared you for this challenge in like the best possible way. Yeah, I was talking with my therapist um, this week. We finally had a session. And um, I was saying how lucky I was for the support system that I have around me. Because Mm -hmm. my friends and clients who are in um, the education world, like, took over that beautiful email that went out on my behalf Mm -hmm. of support. And they made it so easy at a time that, you know, first I have a hard time with the ask. Um, feeling that vulnerable and it it really what they created just lifted weight off my shoulders Mm -hmm. then I kind of have my glam friends who are in the spa industry and so they made uh, cutting off my hair um, so much fun I was able to donate it and you know let go of some emotional baggage and also have a place for hope and to feel beauty because I really am not my hair I'm not my makeup right Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I have my uh, friends within my profession that I was able Mm -hmm. to turn to that were there for long, deep conversations and meditations and, you know, all kinds of, you know, kind of holding you up in the soul and spiritual realm. Um, And then I have my my medical friends and staff that really helped me, you know, be okay with advocating for myself and really pushing for what I needed and in saying that timelines weren't, weren't helpful and, um, and all of that, you know? And so, you know, then I have my close knit friends that just kind of, you know, hugged me and held me, uh, and made space for all the tears and everything. And there's Mm -hmm. so many different rich layers to my support system that I feel so blessed for. And, it's a mirror to me at how much work and self-love that I've done to allow that connection to be already around me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's beautiful. And I think that, um, you know, you, Many, many people, I, I, think, I think how awesome is it that you get to see and witness and hear all of this, like, in person, you know, it's not, like, nothing is being taken for granted during this time, 
by you or by your support people. Like we are much more quick to tell you how much we love you. (laughs) You are much more quick to, you know, respond in the same way and how much you appreciate it. You know what I mean? As opposed to, you know, oh, I die and all these people showed up at my funeral and said great things about me. Like, no, I want people to say those things to me. And I want to say those things to people back. I don't want it to be like a, like, you know. It's it's a full circle thing. It's it's why I still like to write handwritten cards because I mm-hmm. feel like it's just a time to put pen to paper in an old-fashioned way and mm-hmm. let people know how much they mean to you and how much uh, they care for you. And um, One of my birthday is soon approaching and my one friend that I do the kayak trip with gave me my birthday gift early when we did our bike riding um, because I was worried about... Uh, sun on our all day on the water when we take mm-hmm. the day down the river and um, so she got me that the clothing uh, that's swimsuit material that has the built-in sunscreen mm-hmm. and, and a little hat and she's like I didn't want you to buy it so I wanted to give it to you now and I was like oh you know that's so sweet and so nice but inside the card she wrote um, 50 things I love about you uh-huh. and you know, of course, I'm getting all teary-eyed, and but every like tenth one, she put in a funny that would then make me laugh. So then, you know, I I would wouldn't do the ugly cry, but I thought, you know, what a wonderful birthday gift to have someone take time and write by hand fifty things that they love about me. Well, I would love to hear from our community if there's anything more that we should add to this list or anything more that Kim should add to her list in as a caregiver, or if you've been the person that has gone through something life-changing and needed care from others, what do you, um, what worked for you? What was helpful? What wasn't helpful? Hit us up where the lotusgrows.com info at where the Lotus grows. If you want to email us directly and, um, We'll catch you next time. Thanks a lot, Courageitarians. Bye. Show notes and resources grow on our website, wherethelotusgrows.com. If you're wanting to engage with the topics we present in a deeper way, it's a great place to go for a more immersive experience and links to pertinent show information. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or subscribe on our website to get our weekly blog, personalized weekly mantra, and links to listen to the show. We're so grateful for all the reviews, recommendations, membership support, and suggestions that you provide us. As always, our member platform is at patreon.com backslash where the lotus grows. This is where you can go to donate to the show to help keep us going and get a few rewards for your support. Thank you, Courageitarians. We love having you as our Sangha. Until next week, remember, though we are professionals in our field, the topics discussed and or advice given is general information and not intended as treatment or diagnosis. Please seek the guidance of a medical, integrative health, bodywork, or yoga therapy professional for full evaluation.